Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Jeff Sire, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Howdy. And Julie is playing hooky this week. She's in Minneapolis at uh, the WordPress uh, Expo. So it's just uh, Mike and I tonight. So we're going to be doing uh, Judge Dredd. And uh, you had never seen this before, right, Mike? No, I hadn't. And, you know, this was a... um like I said, last week we saw Galaxy Quest, which was kind of a nice, uh, a pleasant movie, and now we got Judge Dredd, which, well, isn't. Uh, it's <laughs> a you know, dark, uh, dystopian movie about uh, uh, a Earth that has been um, uh, irradiated and all the people are living in, the, uh, you know, in one section of the country. I, I guess what, before we get that, you want to just kind of read the sort, story summary? Yeah, I'll just give the uh, summary here. Um, and also, before I get to that, I just want to give a shout out to the Dystopic Radio Network. I've been listening to their podcast, and they they uh, discussed Judge Dredd in detail as well when it first came out last year. So, if you like Judge Dredd, please feel free to go and listen to their uh, podcast on it. It was very, very good. So, the IMDb su- uh, summary for it is: in a violent, futuristic city where the police have authority to act as judge, jury, and executioner. A cop teams with a trainee to take down a gang that's dealing the reality-altering drug slow-mo. So that's the the bare bones on it. And uh, so, did you like did you like the movie? Yeah, I mean it. Um, it kept me entertained uh, because a lot of times I'm watching movies, I kind of. I don't know. I have this thing where I'm usually kind of looking off someplace or another, but this one kept me, uh, you know, watching the whole thing and concentrating on it. So that would be a mark of a, you know, a, a good movie, I guess, by my standards, if it'll hold my attention. <laughs> a Mike-approved movie. Yes. <laughs> I, um, when I was in high school, I couldn't tell you how I knew about Judge Dredd, but I knew Judge Dredd just kind of generally as a as a comic book property. Um, I, I don't think I'd ever read any of them, but maybe a friend had some or something. But I, I did know of Judge Shred, and then that horrible, awful, atrocious uh, Sylvester Stallone movie, Judge Dredd, came out. And I saw that in the theater, and I remember thinking, like, this isn't like I think it's supposed to be. And then after that, I looked into it and read a little bit of Judge Dredd stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's because it's really nothing like this. <laughs> like, Judge Dredd, the comic books are very gritty and dirty, and uh, um, it's and the Sylvester Stallone movie was not. <laughs> and the big complaint for fans of Judge Dredd was the the main complaint, I think, anyways, was the uh, that he took his helmet off, and in the entire what a forty year run of the comic books. You've never, ever seen Judge Dredd's face. And so Stallone took his helmet off after about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, because he, he probably, well, you know, actors like to have their faces seen. And so, yeah, it would be kind of hard to do a movie where you were behind the helmet. And you got to give yeah. props to uh, uh, the guy who played uh, Dredd in this movie that. Um, yeah, he never took his helmet off, and um, outside of the you know the acting from uh, from the n- neck down, I mean, the only other acting he was able to do was like through his uh, his mouth and his his voice. You didn't really get to see any facial expression. So, and he was really still able to project like a real sense of menace, and like all you could see was his, was his mouth, but you could still 
tell exactly what was going on in his head, right? So he, I think Carl Urban did a fantastic job in this. Well, yeah, considering that you know you've kind of limited by design of the story one of the actors, um, you know, props that he could use, which is basically his face. Yeah, you, then you do have to compensate and do more. He did do a good job because it could have gone. He could have just been kind of a equivalent of a cardboard cutout, but he did bring a certain um, you know authority to his uh, character just with what he was able to use. Right, and uh, I have to say, like. This was probably my favorite movie of uh, 2012. Like I, I saw this in the theater, and I was just I, I went back and saw it again in the theater, and then as soon as I as soon as it came out on uh, um, on iTunes, I bought it, and I've watched it probably about five or six times since. I've really really liked this movie. Uh, it's it's a very dystopic world. It's it's near future, so. This is almost kind of on our the edge of the stuff that we can talk about because it sort of is sci-fi, but it's so close that there's a lot of things that are very similar to what we have today. Um, but there are, you know, uh, there are some with, with some definite notable differences. <laughs> Yeah, and they didn't give you a lot of backstory, which sometimes that bugs me because I do I am curious about what goes on in the movie. But in this one, that didn't really bother me that much. I mean, you just kind of got into the movie and you took off. You didn't explain uh, why um, the Earth was um, you know irradiated. You would assume, yeah. I suppose, nuclear war or something like that. But basically, um, the population of I, I think of America. They didn't. Re- I don't think they said. I don't think it was the world. I think it was. Well, anyway, they said the population. They, yeah, they they never said if it was the world or just the United States that was uh, was irradiated like that. Yeah, and so the population was crammed into this one area uh, in the uh, the Boston Washington area there. So uh, what was it? Eight hundred million uh, souls in this one area there. So to uh, be able to accommodate all those people, they had to start building. Um, um, mega buildings, uh, basically stacking people, going vertically, um, going up so that they accommodate that many people. And, yeah. and the problem with having a mega building like that or having that much humanity crammed into one area is lawlessness broke out and crime. And Because when people are crowded and under you know duress because you know the rest of the the country seemed to be well there wasn't anything there you know that does wear the person's humanity so the crime has gone up so they institute the the judge system to try and deal with the crime in um in that area and yeah. basically these people are empowered to be judge jury and executioner and uh to make uh, decisions on the spot and sometimes they would send them to um uh, ISO cells for uh, the lesser crimes, but if you tried to kill anybody, did they ever elaborate what all would warrant a death sentence? Or no, there was uh, at the start. He even offers the one guy who's uh, he's obviously killed several people, and he's holding the one woman hostage, and he offers him that uh, if he surrenders and gives up the hostage, that he'd give him. I think it was twenty five years in ISO cubes. And uh, so I guess there is a certain amount of discretion there. Um, he was, you know, because he said the option was death. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like they never gave you a real list of everything. And when they busted in on that uh, uh, 
where they were selling slow mo at the start when they first went to peach trees that was uh um i don't think anybody was sentenced to death there it was all like uh, i think they said all it was 5 years in iso cubes for selling narcotics even though they were you know they resisted arrest and were shooting at them so. Yeah, I think the only ones that got shot were the ones that were shooting at them. Yeah. Because I think uh, basically it boiled down to attacking a judge was an automatic death sentence or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But they also they – didn't, they didn't just uh, outright shoot anybody who had a gun after, after all the shooting was done. They didn't shoot anybody that surrendered, right? Yeah, because the, the people that were there getting high um, oh. and yeah, I'm trying to remember if there was like somebody holding a gun – but you know, as long as they weren't firing, I think they were spared. But you know, like I kind of, I can't, I couldn't, I can't put my finger on why it is I like this movie and I don't like some other movies. Like this movie really is. There's almost no ties to anything else. They just kind of drop you in here. They don't explain what has led up to this. They don't explain a whole bunch of things. They don't explain how the judge system works. They don't explain. And I was okay with that. And like in some other movies, that really bothers me that they don't explain why things are the way they are. But it just kind of – I don't know what it is about this movie, but I just I just take it at face value and just run with it and like, okay, well, that's the way things work. Cool. I think you know, maybe part of it is – I think part of it for me was it kind of uh, satisfied my urge for um, watching – Knowing scumbags were going to get what uh, was coming to them, mm-hmm. um, to be just you know shot there on the spot. You didn't take them to trial. <laughs> have some you know sleazy lawyer trying to get them off in a technicality. You're guilty. Boom. Okay, done. On yeah. to the next subject. Well, and I uh, I really like the character of of Judge Dredd. Like that whole the fact that he never takes his helmet off. That he's kind of like the embodiment of you know, blind justice, like the whole thing, you never fully see his face. He acts like a machine. Like he's almost like the Terminator, you know, like he's just completely emotionless and just like, no, you, this is, this is what the law is. I don't care about right and wrong. This is the law. Yeah. And I, I I can't explain why I really like that, but it's just that whole dispassionate kind of, Dispensing justice thing, I like that. But it does inspire some sort of confidence in him, because uh, <clears throat> that, that's kind of a fine line. He could have either been very confident or arrogant and cocky, um, yeah. but he he straddles that line so that when you see the character, uh, you respect him and you uh, take him seriously, uh, and you end up rooting for him basically. Yeah. Well, that whole thing, like it's it's very early on in the movie, um, where they're they're explaining about you know how lawless this particular building is, and that that medic goes, well, do you know how often we have a judge come in here? And he goes, well, you've got one now. That whole just kind of <laughs> like <laughs> I don't care what things have, what's happened before. I'm here now, and things are different. So, yeah. Well, it, it, like maybe that's what I like about him. He is. Absolute, complete self-confidence. There is no question about his ability to – he never – there's not even a remote question uh, uh, that he has about himself and his ability to carry out his job. Well, he never hesitates. He never second-guesses himself. This is it. Justice has been dispensed. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you got to – you know, you got to like a character like that that um, – 
like I say, like I say, supreme self confidence. He doesn't question anything. He doesn't let sappy emotions get in the way. He does his job, and he you know does it well. Yeah. I suppose we should eventually talk about the tech in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I shouldn't just be a big, uh, you know, swoon fest about how much I was in love with Judge Dredd. But uh, st- let's start with the uh, the the suit. His his suit and his gun and their communications and the grenades and their the respirator and every, everything seemed to be kind of coordinated um, through the suit. Like he was able to. They were able to look at that wrist wrist display and and kind of get a like a visual display of uh, um, like the perpetrators and stuff like that. So it, would, it could obviously communicate to some central database, and then they were able to use the suit to program. I think it was the stun grenades at one point. So they didn't go into that a whole lot, and I don't know you know how much was there, but there seemed to be some kind of central computer system that was operating through the suit. Uh, to coordinate all of their all of the rest of their gear, which I think we're probably not too far away from that kind of stuff in real life today. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're talking about you know now the, all the rage in the tech community is like smart watches, um, but <clears throat> yeah, to have uh, take that to a bigger level and have something on your wrist that you could uh, communicate with uh, central command with to uh, be able to check the status of your weapons. Um, um, did they use it for um, um, tracking perps? or? Um, or yes, I don't think they used it for tracking. They downloaded... Uh, uh, when Control figured out the identities of the, of the bodies that had been dumped into the atrium, they downloaded them the pictures onto their wrist computer. So they obviously received data from control with the, with the pictures of those guys. And, uh, and it said what level they lived on too. Yeah. So it was basically, uh, um, yeah, it didn't offer, uh, you know, any real time, um, um, you know, tracking or anything like that, but it was an information portal, uh, for them that they could get information from control. Yeah. Yeah, was uh, what? When oh, they had the uh, the microphone in their wrist, like it, I would assume that was part of the jacket, because every time they went to talk, they would hold their wrist up to their mouth and talk into their sleeve. Okay, yeah, I guess that would cut down because when you're chasing perps, you don't want to have uh, all the chatter on the line, but you do want to be able to isolate the the stuff that you need to send to uh, uh, control. So that yeah. would be a, a logical way to do it. Although you would think that, I mean, I've, I've uh, had different, like, my, uh, watches. I would go through watches fairly quick because I would bang them into stuff doing things. You would think it would take abuse, but apparently they must have it in there well enough and protected so that, in the same way with that computer, I would just see that if you're in a, that, that must be pretty tough because if you're in a battle doing hand-to-hand combat, you would think that that would get uh, uh, destroyed or something. The uh, the cuff microphone or no well, no I mean like the display the uh, uh... oh oh in the suit yeah well but we're getting closer to that like uh, what was it the last E three expo or uh, I can't remember where it was it was it was somewhere within the last year but they were uh, talking about uh, TV screens maybe Julie was telling me about this but it was TV screens that they could put on a flexible sheet and they were like monitors. 
Yeah, they're getting closer with that because now you know that's kind of feeding the not to get off into the tech stuff here too much, but uh, the tech world. Um, but the, the Apple uh, Watch that everyone keeps uh, pondering is supposed to be have a flexible display built out of that stuff, so they could wrap around your hand. Uh, you know, it's sort of in essence what uh, Dread had on his arm. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I, I think we're probably not too far from that. And I think the first ones will be crappy. Like most of that stuff, I I, I remember um, when we were kids and they first had cars with uh, uh, power windows. Those were terrible when they first came out. Like I remember, like well, you, <laughs> you're in uh, North Dakota, so you you'd be similar to me. That like there was always stories about like somebody's window would be stuck down in the middle of the winter, like. Yeah, those those things were always failing. Yeah. But those don't happen anymore, right? No, like, because uh, yeah. for a while there, I mean, I refused to buy a car that had you know power uh, windows in it because I was worried right. about the motor quitting. But now it, they're everywhere. You know, give them a second thought, and they yeah. uh, so far always work. Yeah, and uh, you know, like I think it's the same thing with any new sort of tech that uh, you know the first few. You know, revisions of it are you know <laughs> sketchy, but then like after a while, it just gets to the point that it's really like f- failure is the exception rather than the rule, right? Yeah, after they refine it so many times, and get the bugs worked out. Yeah, then then we do trust it, but there is that always that phase when um, you just don't quite know if it's going to to amount to anything like the first cell phones were big huge bricks and everybody made fun of them but now we carry them around everywhere some people even even dump their landlines and have only a cell phone for you know phone calls which you know by 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 (laughs) my we are so close we are so close (laughs) yeah um and you know even out here in the in the Midwest here, um, I just don't quite trust that because uh, cell reception out here is kind of sketchy. So I don't entirely trust the cell phones. I mean, I have one, but we still have a landline here at home because in case of a, uh, um, a tornado or something like that and the cell towers go down, at least if we have a landline, we can call in yet. So yeah. we're clinging to the old ways yet. Yeah. Um, well, and, uh, you know, like with – Everything else is like that too. Like you know, the the early adopters, it's not always friendly to them, right? Like, uh, well, when Apple was dumping uh, the uh, three and a half inch drives, and so okay, our computers aren't going to have this anymore. Well, if you bought one of those first Macs that didn't have a three and a half inch drive, you were probably kind of stuck in. You know, from time to time, saying, "Oh, I really wish I had one now," because somebody gave me a disc, and I don't have anywhere to stick it <laughs> anymore, right? Yeah. But you know, they you know they do have the foresight to see, like, okay, this is what's the way things are going, so we're not going to do this anymore. Right. Um, yeah, and then you know, looking at the uh, the other tech here uh, in the movie, um, we've got the field dressing kits that um, uh, that they had on his suit there. Uh, yeah. So when he gets shot, he pulls this out, and basically looked like I, I saw basically two things in there: kind of this red goo that he injected into the uh, uh, the wound, which I think kind of helped stop the bleeding and started to promote healing. And then, in essence, what looked to me like staples that he just put in yeah. there to seal the wound shut, so that it, that part of it I don't think is probably too far away from something 
that we have now. Now, I don't think you would want to just do that to yourself on the fly, but like it, you know, like a suture gun, that's not that big of a deal, and it, it wouldn't be that different from what he had, I don't think. So, yeah, probably not too much, but yeah, he uh, on his suit there, he needed, he had everything that he needed because he's out there alone. Um, yeah. uh, Without any real support, he can call for backup, but who knows how quick they'll be there. And in this movie, he wasn't able to get support because the building was on lockdown. He couldn't get a signal out to control to send backup. So him and the rookie there that he was evaluating, um, they had to be. They were on their own, and so they had to defend themselves and treat themselves if they got shot. Yeah. The uh, oh, I just completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> Well, I was I was going to say, you know, uh, the, uh, talking about the rookie, she had um, because of the the uh, radiation and stuff that was on the planet, um, she had developed mutant abilities. Most mutants were like, um, you know, bad arms or bad legs or something like that. But she had developed psychic abilities, and and that's why they wanted to try her out as a judge because they thought that that even though she had failed um, the test required to become a judge they thought because of the psychic ability they really wanted to get her out there and see how it would do so that's why uh dread has her along when they go to uh and she basically picks going to the the peach tree apartments because I, again they didn't develop the story a whole lot but you get you you saw this picture with uh look like her family or something in there and you got the feeling that she was trying to avenge uh some wrong that had been done to her family well, when they first walked into Peachtree, she says, I grew up in a building just like this. And uh, and she says, like, there are good people here. Yeah. And so, you know, that's about as deep as her character development gets. But you do kind of see her grow and, uh, and, and develop more in the movie because she starts out, um, you know, a little hesitant. But by the end of the movie, she you know, maybe isn't quite as confident as Dredd is, but she is certainly uh, a stronger character at the end of the movie than she was at the beginning of the movie. Right, right. Yeah, her character um, is a really strong female character, too, So, which is counterbalanced by Mama, the character, which is another, you know, very, very strong, totally ruthless you know, character. And, like, it's, it, it is good to see those strong kind of female characters in movies. Yeah, you know, I think uh, we've probably talked about other ones, but it seems like when Julie's gone, we, we get these characters that are strong, because the last time she was gone, we watched uh, Alien, and yeah. that had, um, um, oh. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver. I, I blanked on her character. Yeah. Name. Um, but she was a strong character, and then in this movie, we have two strong female characters. And, like, say, and um, I, you know, we were talking a little earlier we were trying to remember if we've ever seen any how many strong female villains uh, yeah. in a movie um and you know outside like you know cruella deville um <laughs> and that and that's almost like that's just kind of campy right right yeah. but i mean she was you know a, a female villain uh but um you know there's uh, you know maybe ma barker uh might come yeah. to mind but um and maybe uh, Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde, but um, not too many uh, women villains that aren't either like either campy or um, maybe accidental. Uh, maybe that isn't quite the right word, but you know they're not you know really strong or developed as this one was. Yeah, 
so what else? So we also had, oh, uh, Judge Anderson's psychic abilities. <clears throat> With her as a uh, mutant, they didn't explain how she got the psychic abilities. They just said she grew up close to the radiation zone. But they didn't, uh, and she's the only mutant we see in the whole thing. Um, but they really didn't elaborate on the limits of her psychic abilities or, or what she could do or anything else. Yeah, it's just that she could um, like probe people's minds uh, and kind of get in there and rummage around because at one point um, she is um, left alone with the uh, – or no, I guess she was interrogating the uh, one uh, uh, drug dealer that they had arrested and they were trying to take in to, uh, um, to Central. And she's rum- rummaging around in there and kind of you know, basically pushes his buttons and, and finds out what his secret is, which is basically that the – uh, the drug lab for the slow mo is in the basement of the uh, uh, mega building where they're at. Yeah, which is the reason that sets off the whole thing that Mama can't afford to have him get interrogated and give up that information. Yeah, even to the point uh, at one point in the movie, there she gets out uh, three. Uh, well, I don't know what they're called, but basically rail guns or whatever they were. Oh, uh, chain guns. Chain guns, yeah. Yes. And basically obliterates uh, one whole, or at least half of one whole floor, um, just shooting through everything, support beams, um, you know, just laying waste to people and everything there because she wanted to kill the judges and this um, guy who held this, her secret to her drug. Uh, um, uh, um, the drug manufacturing uh, yes yeah planter secrets. yeah mm-hmm. um, so she laid waste to, I don't know how many people were killed but just laying <laughs> um, and then why that building didn't collapse just from the devastation yeah. did on that one side I don't there must be more supports there than what a person could see although I, I gotta say I <laughs> I was expecting that whole you know when you see that when the shooting stops and they pan across the whole thing, I was except, expecting to see that one piece of cement just kind of drop as it's panning across, and they didn't do that. That was a really – I figured like that would be the cheap director move to just – you know as it's panning across and the smoke's rising, to just have that one last little piece of cement just kind of drop out of the ceiling onto the floor or some one door fall over or something like that, and they didn't do it. It was just – but what a – what a wasteland was left after that. Well, yeah, and then piles of steaming uh, bullet jackets uh, on the floor there. and um, Yeah, and it looked like she went and shot up all of her, her uh, weapons at that point because then Dredd, um, they didn't have that to uh, defend themselves when Dredd came after them. Yeah, and <laughs> then Dredd just walked out with the one guy and threw him off the balcony. Again, totally dispassionate, just <laughs> dispensing justice. Yeah, and, and none too subtle either. Um, yeah, and then um, um, yeah, I'm looking over. Yeah, then there was the drone surveillance, which was early on in the movie. Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, you know, we're not too far off. Um, you know, in this country anyway, or in certain parts of this country, um, we have. You know, I think there's drones flying, um, you know, at least along the, probably the Mexican border, and I don't know where else they're flying. Uh, but so that's kind of a, a a today thing that, you know, using drones for surveillance and for, um, you know, dispensing weapons or whatever. Um, so that that is something that you know is here and now. Yeah, 
and I uh, like I think we're only going to see more of in the future, right? Yeah, it's it's easy. You don't have to put people on the line to do this stuff, and you can. Uh, yeah. It's cheap. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know since you're up in the air, it's fairly easy to keep track of people, at least when yeah. they're out in the open, anyway. Yeah, very true. And then you just you can kind of uh, put on there whatever you need for that for particular mission or whatever it's doing, and yeah. Um, then you got something down here that I guess I'm not quite remembering. You got the the cybernetics. The yeah, if you remember the uh, the technician guy that was running everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, he had like they have a scene. It's shown as a flashback where Mama gouges out his eyes, and then when they show his, his when they zoom in on his eyes, you can see they're artificial cybernetic eyes. Now they don't show. I don't think they show any other cybernetic anything in the movie, but that guy definitely had artificial mechanical type eyes. Okay, I, I got the because I saw the irises opening and closing like a camera shutter. Yeah, and I do kind of remember the where she gouges out his eyes, but um, you know that scene I kind of looked away, so I didn't see whose eyes she was gouging out. So yeah. um, okay, then that kind of makes sense. And I don't know outside of seeing, I don't know that that gave him any special. Yeah. Uh, abilities no they didn't really show what if if that made any difference to him but i know like just in getting ready for uh for the show tonight um the the stuff that i've read about judge dread apparently judge dread in the comic books has artificial eyes that enable him uh give him 2020 vision at night so he has like perfect night vision well, yeah. If you're out there stalking people, probably who would want to hide in the in the dark, you would want good night vision so that you could track and apprehend people. Uh, most definitely. <laughs> and if they're shooting at me, yeah, I would really want good eyes. Yeah. And Dread himself. Uh, now, again, the movie doesn't go into this at all, um, except possibly when when uh, Judge Anderson first meets Dread, she's. She's uh, picking up on who he is, and she says he's a he's a male. He's another judge, and she says there's control there, and then there's something else, and then they just kind of cut her off. Don't talk anymore. Well, I guess from the comic books, Dread is not like a normal person. Like he's like a uh, like a genetically engineered clone. Uh, he's designed to be the perfect judge, which is kind of explains his lack of emotion and everything i guess but uh yeah so i guess they again they don't go into that in detail other than the fact that anderson looks like she's picking up on something about him but uh yeah so that kind of touches on cloning and and uh uh i, I don't even know what you would call it i guess genetic enhancement or something like that yeah yeah apparently not all the judges were as good as Dread, because there was four of them that was bought off by uh, Mama. Yeah. Uh, so apparently they weren't all that good. But um, and you know, I thought it was kind of I don't know ballsy of him when he's talking to the first um, judge that shows up there, and uh, the guy says, "You know, we were looking for you." And he said, "Well, there was two judges here." And then he, you know, I'm cutting the conversation pretty short here, but basically yeah. pulls out a gun and shoots him uh, because he said there was two judges here. Why didn't you ask about the second one? Um, you know, I thought that was you know a pretty that kind of goes to that confidence of his that we were talking about that this is right. Boom, you know, I just you know, yeah, there's something Some, up with you. Exactly. 
Uh, and like I say, and, and it, this character made that believable because sometimes if it wasn't done correctly, this would just seem like a kind of a plot uh, uh, device that was thrown in there to keep the movie going. But when he did it, it seemed real enough. Yeah. And like, I don't know, start to finish, I I, I really like Dredd's character, right? And uh, it, it's it sort of seemed that that character would be very easy to kind of make him a cartoon or not like uh, like to to not be the kind of thing you, you could hate him easily right but then at the end like after this horrific event he's walking out and the uh, the chief judge is there and like well what happened and he just says uh we went to arrest some drug dealers and they were uncooperative <laughs> that's how he sums up the event well he's to the point yeah <laughs> no need to waste uh, words here exactly you, you you can't fault him. Yes, yeah, that's. You could put it that way. Uh, yeah, and then you know, to the the end of the movie, there, the Anderson's being um, you know evaluated, and basically, you know, she said that she had failed because there was three cri- I, I can't remember all three criteria for fail, but one was to have your weapon uh, taken away from you. Uh, An the incorrect other- sentence. Yeah. And I thought there was a, a third one, but I can't remember what that one was. But basically, she had her weapon taken away from her, so she figured he, she failed. And they never did quite resolve that, uh, because technically she had failed, but it seemed like Dredd thought there was some potential oh, yeah. in her. The, well, the chief judge asked, what about the rookie? And he says, she's a pass. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, you know she thought she had failed, uh, and he thought that she should pass. So... Um, you, you, I guess you kind of assume that she would then go on to become a judge, but yeah. And in the comic book, she does go on and be a judge, and she's uh, one of uh, one of Dredd's only friends. Now, again, uh, in reading about this, I guess they have a falling out at some point, uh, and Dredd kind of, you know, kind of disowns her. But uh, yeah, but she is one of his only friends. Well, um, I don't think there – we've kind of covered on most of the tech here and and most of the story. Is there one thing in this this piece of tech in this story that you would like to have? Most definitely, the Lawmaster motorcycle. (laughs) I should have known. (laughs) Oh, I would take that in a heartbeat. Twin cannons and – It looked like kind of a badass piece of equipment there. Oh, yes. Actually – here you talk about you talk about what you would have, and I'm going to uh, to see if I can find this thing. Okay, what would you? Like? Um, you know, I just me being nerd that I am, and I and the the way that I want to be connected to the world that the, the wrist uh, computer would just be nice. That in any time I can pull up uh, you know information, just to be able to look at my arm. I mean, I already I carry my iPod Touch around with me on my uh, in one of my in my holster basically um, with me that I can pull out anytime I want and be able to bring up information. So to be able to uh, be connected like that and have it always with me and always on, uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I would just just love to have. I found it when I was looking for. Um, it's a motorcycle that I, I don't know, like I, I didn't look this up, but I think uh, uh, the Lawmaster motorcycle might be based on and it's a Honda motorcycle, 
It's called the DN01. And if uh, if you look it up, uh, a picture of it on Google, it it's really stretched out and it has these this weird fairing and these handlebars that come way back. So it looks like they could have used that as the base for the bike and then just added a bunch of more stuff to it. Um, I have... I have a good friend that his wife said she would like this motorcycle and he just said you're not going to park he thinks it looks really weird and he said he wouldn't let her park it in his driveway <laughs> so. uh, yeah well I mean it's got that uh, that cowling on it there yeah <clears throat> and, uh, it would keep the and, bugs off you oh yeah and the way those handlebars come back were kind of like the uh, like the, the the motorcycle had a huge front end on, on it yeah it actually it was one of those things that it's like a chopper. It doesn't look like it would be enjoyable to ride, but it looks like it would be very cool. <laughs> well, you'd get people's attention. Oh, for sure. So, I guess we'll wrap up here. So, that wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out on scifitechtalk.com or follow us on Twitter at sci Tech Talk. If you have any ideas or comments, please feel free to send them to sci-fi tech talk at gmail.com. And reviews on iTunes are always welcome. So, Mike, where can people find you? Yeah, I can be found on Twitter at DSC Chipman. And I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. And people can find me on Twitter at Bronco Sire, S-Y-E-R. That's it for the show. We'll see you in the future. It's the sci-fi tech talk.